So welcome. So, uh, oh yeah, I got to talk a lot quieter than that. All right, it's going to feed back if I don't. Maybe I can cheat. Okay, well, we'll just work with it. Um, so the goal of these classes is just to um, introduce people to all the things they need to know in order to um, become Catholic or just to deepen their faith in our Lord. Um, and so it's, it's um, I'll tell you kind of how this is all going to work. So um, the talks and everything is structured around what we what is called the RCIA process, which is the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. And so this first period here, um, the talks are all going to be about kind of religion in general and the very, very basics of um, Catholicism. We're going to talk about the need for God in our lives, um, the basic message of the Gospel, and some basics on prayer. Um, and this first period of time will end December 17th when we have what's called the Rite of Acceptance. Um, more on that another time, not necessary today. Um, and then after that we have something called the time of the catechumenate. And during that time we focus more on specifically Catholic things. Um, so we'll talk about the creed, we'll talk about some of those really challenging teachings that the church has and why we have them. And then um, one of the big things we'll talk about is we'll spend one week where we just talk about the afterlife, essentially um, heaven and hell and all of those things and what the church says about them. Um, that time will culminate in something we call the rite of sending, um, where basically everybody goes and the bishop says, come on in if you want, <laughs> you know, um, and signs off essentially um, in what we call the rite of election. Again, more on that later as we get closer to it. Um, after that we have this period which is um, during what we call Lent, right? So during Lent we're preparing for Easter for the resurrection of the Lord and so we're striving to purify. So the talks are going to focus um, more in depth on the church and on morality and on the sacraments and all those things that we need to live a good and holy life. And then all of that culminates on March 30 at the Easter Vigil when if you want to be Catholic, that's the day you're going to do it, <laughs> okay? Um, because that's the, um, it's the most impressive and, and beautiful liturgy we have as a church, um, and we bring new people into the church on that night. Um, we can do it other days if we have to, but that's the night that the church really prefers it. Um, and then after that, when you are Catholic, your relationship with the church is different. And so we can take a slightly different approach. So that's when we'll actually talk about stuff like church history and things like that, um, where we just kind of dig in. Um, and if, if um, any of you who are doing this, thinking about joining the church, decide not to, you can still come afterwards to those talks, um, but it'll be maybe a little different <laughs> relationship, right, um, that's presupposed when I start them. Um, and of course, I hope to end all of these, you know, after however many months, with an epic party, because I like parties, all right? <laughs> um, so, um, today the topic is religion, okay? Uh, just religion in general. Um, what is religion about and why should I care is kind of the questions I had in my head when I started putting this together. So several years ago you had this guy get on the internet and say that he's spiritual but not religious, right? And uh, everybody found that very interesting, either for good reasons or bad reasons. <laughs> um, that, that he was on there saying that this is really the way we should go. 
Um, now, obviously, I've been a lifelong Catholic. I'm a priest now. Um, so this gentleman and I kind of disagree on things. Um, but it seems like the first and most important misunderstanding that he had was what is religion itself? Um, and if you ask yourself that question, what is religion anyway, it can be kind of a confusing question to answer. Um, I can point at a particular religion and say that's religion, right? But that doesn't actually tell you what it is. What is the point of it? Um, so, so really, like, what is it that makes a religion? Is it the people? Is it the beliefs? Um, is a religion and religion, like, are those different things, you know? Um, and I apologize now if I get a bit too nerdy. I have an engineering degree, all right? It happens. <laughs> um, and then on top of all those things, once I know what religion is, why should I care? Um, and what's so wrong with what that guy said? So one of the great issues we face in discussing anything is talking past each other. And so to avoid doing that, um, we have to communicate the meaning of the thing, right? We have to understand what religion is before we can actually talk about it. Um, when I'm working with couples preparing for marriage, one of the things I work with every single one of them on, whether they want to or not, no matter what their communication scores are, is communicating desires and emotions to the other person. Because when we have that kind of understanding, when we are on the same page, it makes communication, it makes conversation so much easier. So I'm going to spend most of today laying the groundwork so we can talk about what religion is um, and the things that are kind of in the background. And I apologize now if I get a bit long in the tooth. <laughs> um, I'm shooting for about 30 to 45 minutes total. Um, and then hopefully you guys have some questions. If you don't, then we'll all leave early. It's fine. Okay. So the first thing we do, we need to do, is understand what the term religion is. We have to be talking about the same thing. And we have to agree that we need to talk about the same thing. So we could look it up in a dictionary, but dictionary definitions are never actually as good as we think they are, right? Um, one of the things that always kind of bothers, like my head goes a little nuts, when somebody starts a talk out, what is this? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, it's like, I don't really care what Webster had to say. Webster did not live the same life as me, you know. Um, but these dictionary definitions, they never quite get at the whole meaning. And so while they can assist us in understanding something new, words on paper aren't enough, right? They're not human enough for us to really understand it. Um, for example, if you look up love in the dictionary, it's never going to fully express what that word means. It's something you have to live. Um, it's so much more than that. And so there's two things we really have to talk about before we can define religion because they're going to help us do that. First is reality. We have to start with reality. Um, because we have to take a bit of a different approach in defining religion. So the first thing we do is we understand that we live within reality, which seems like kind of an obvious thing, but if, if you ask certain philosophers, it's actually not, right? Um, that the things around us are real. Um, and on top of that, we can learn from the reality that is around us. Um, 
if we open our eyes to it, right, the, the things around us can teach us so much. A lot of our time in the modern world, we spend trying to control everything around us, right? Like, I got my phone and I can control the thermostats, right? I can control a lot of reality from just this little thing, which is impressive <laughs> and a little frightening, you know? But I can learn so much simply by sitting in a place and being there and letting reality come to me. Um, for example, Yesterday when I was writing this, I look outside and there's a tree outside my house, right? Now I know what this tree looks like, I know where it is, I know whether it has lost a lot of leaves, and as of yesterday it was starting to, right? Um, so I know a lot about this tree, and I know these things before I start to think about questions like, well, what makes it a tree, right? Like, I know the thing before I start to have kind of these other types of knowledge. Um, to engage my intellect on it. Um, in fact, like for me, I don't really care what makes the tree in my yard a tree. I just care that it's there, and I'm happy to know that it's there. And it's good that I know that it's there because then I know I've got to call someone to rake the leaves because I'm too lazy to do it myself, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so how do I come to know these things? Well, I see the tree. I can touch the tree if I go outside. I can smell the tree, maybe, I don't know. I haven't tried to smell the tree, but I probably could, right? Um, I can hear it when the wind blows, right? These are the ways that I get to know things. I use my senses, um, and our senses can teach us these things when we encounter something. Um, but each thing, we know it in a different way, right? So those are the ways I get to know the tree. I don't get to know the tree by talking to it, right? The tree, I mean, if the tree is talking back, then it's a whole different conversation, right? <laughs> but you guys, right, I get to know you better by talking to you, right? I can see you and, and all those other things, um, but the best way to get to know a person is to talk to them, to have that human encounter with them, you know, um, like, I can get to know my car better by driving it, but I can't drive a person around to get to know them better, right? So, so the point of all these examples is to say that when we want to come to knowledge of something real, it depends on what we're learning about, right? It's a different kind of knowledge when you're encountering a person or when you're encountering a tree or when you're encountering your car, right? And that's okay. Um, so... How do we apply this to something like religion? How can we come to get to know that? So, if we think about it, there's a question right at the deepest part of each of our hearts, right? And it's a question we might not have realized is there, but it is. Because every single one of us wants to know the answer. Well, there's a few questions, but this one's at the bottom. What is the meaning of all of it? Right? What's this all about, <laughs> essentially? Um, and so what kind of experience is that? How do I come to learn and know about that? Because I can't see the question, I can hear the question, but I know the question somewhere deep down. Um, each of us knows it. Maybe we phrase it differently. Maybe we ask it a little bit differently. But each of us has that question and that search for meaning. We all recognize it. And that tells us something, in fact. It tells us that this question, which is what spurs on religion, 
is something that's going to be deeply personal to each of us. The experience of religion is deeply personal, but it comes from the depths of our humanity as well, which I'll come back to that. And because it's something that comes from the depths of our humanity, that means that our experience, like our religious experiences, they touch everything in our life. Right? We can't really separate it out. Um, each person's religious experience is going to be different, but it will be distinctly human in all cases. And so when we engage that question, what is the meaning of everything, eventually we realize that there's a hunger in our hearts, right? When we're trying to figure out what the meaning is, we realize there's a hunger in us, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, right? Um, and nothing ever satisfies it. We always want more. The next greatest thing is the one that's going to make us happy, except it never does when we get there. Um, our modern world tries to stifle that desire so often, right? Again, back to the phone, right? Like, I can sit on here and watch YouTube all day and numb myself out to reality, but at the, at the core, I'm still wanting something more. I always want something more. Which helps us to understand that we have a desire for something infinite that is without limit. Okay? Um, there's an author I particularly enjoy reading. His name is Father Luigi Gisani. Um, and he writes that because of this relationship where each of us desires something without limit, right? We have this insatiable desire for something without limit. Um, he says there's really only two types of human that would entirely capture the, the greatness of what it is to be human, right? He says the only real options for us are either anarchist or authentically religious, okay? Which is kind of a fascinating thing to throw out there. But he has a reason for saying this. He says, okay, so we have this relation to the infinite. Now, with the anarchists, what happens is they take themselves and affirm themselves to be like this answer to the infinite, you know, this, um, this elevation of the self above all else. But the religious one will accept the infinite as being the meaning, right? So I know this is all a bit abstract still. I'm getting there. Like I said, we're, gonna, we're working our way through it, okay? Um, he continues later on, and it says, It is much greater and truer to love the infinite, to embrace reality, and being, rather than assert oneself against those things. Um, oh my gosh, I quoted way too much of him here, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, anyways, to, to embrace the reality, right, um, is so much better than to try to put ourselves on top of it, because if we do that, we're going to realize pretty quickly that that's not actually fulfilling either. Um, So, I've talked a little bit about reality. The other thing I need to talk about before I kind of dig into what is religion is another idea of reasonableness, all right? Um, so we encounter reality, we, we know things based on what they are, right? Uh, reasonableness is about how we act, 
and how we express the gift of reason that we've all been given, right? We all have a brain, and so, so the reasonableness is like how we apply it to everyday life, okay? Um, it's how we act. So, back to Father Jasani, he had a really great story, and I thought it was very timely because uh, he mentions Halloween in it, right? <laughs> so, um, he says, okay, suppose you have a friend, and it's not Halloween, right? So he mentions Halloween, but it's not actually Halloween in the story, right? Now, suppose this friend were to appear with a helmet and chain mail and everything that you would need to be a medieval knight, right? Now, we would be astonished by this if it weren't Halloween. And if we were to ask him about it, and he were to reply seriously that he is afraid of the people around him and uh, that they might attack him, and so he has armed himself and prepared himself for that. Um, well, we would not think that man to be reasonable, right? This, this gentleman is having something going on, right? Um, or another one. <laughs> this one's really funny. Um, at least to me, sorry. Uh, I might present myself before an audience and place my briefcase on a table. If I should suddenly pick up that briefcase and with a wet, energetic and well-aimed throw, pitch it out the window, the audience, if they were given no explanation, was also find this an unreasonable sort of thing to do. I'm with you so far. However, if I should throw my briefcase after four armed men just broke into the lecture hall that I was in, the audience would probably A, wonder what's in the briefcase, and B, think, well, that might have been a reasonable action after all. Right? So this idea of reasonableness um, it's when a behavior that we're doing, something that we're doing, shows that like it has adequate reasons behind it, right? Um, and in normal English, <laughs> that means not only do we have reasons for what we do, but those reasons make sense in response to what's going on around us. Um, and so when we act reasonably, we act in a way that is open to reality. So by that, that reasonable action, we're open to reality. Um, and when we're open to reality, one of the things that reminds us of is like I was saying before, there are different ways to know things. But not just like actual physical objects, right? Because, for example, we know math, right? Um, I like math. I have, like I said, I have the engineering degree. I also have a minor in math, all right? Um, so when I do a math problem, usually I assume I get the right answer, right? And I know that it's, well, I don't know that it's the right answer, but like if it's a simple enough math problem, I do, right? So, um, but in a similar way, I know that if I were to bring flowers to my mom on Mother's Day, and she were to open the door, and then I throw them on the ground and stomp them, she'd be very taken aback and wonder about my sanity, right? I am very confident that this would be her reaction, right? I know it just as much as I know that 2 plus 2 is 4, right? But it's a very different kind of knowledge, isn't it? Um, but I'm just as certain of both things. And this idea of reasonableness can help us understand why that's, like, okay. Um, we can't define human behaviors using a scientific method like we would for chemistry or math or physics or something like that. 
Um, if we tried to do that, our lives would come to a standstill. Um, that same author, you know, one of the most important things is to know which authors to borrow from when you write talks, right? So I read a lot of this guy's book. He used an example of this. He said, there's a gentleman who was standing at a bus stop, but after like three buses went by, kept refusing to get on them, and, and he asks him, I think this was a story, I don't think it was actually, actually a thing. He said, you know, it's, why aren't you getting on the bus? Well, I haven't psychologically analyzed all these bus drivers to know if they're sane people and will get me actually safely to my destination. It's like, wait, so you want to psychoanalyze your bus driver before you get on the bus? You're going to be standing at the bus stop forever, dude, right? Um, you know, so, so our knowledge about humans, it's not like a scientific or a mathematical knowledge. Um, we call our knowledge about the people around us moral knowledge. Um, and, and you can have a bit of a moral certainty about them, okay? Um, and we would not be able to live a normal life if we didn't do this, right? So, you know, the normal person goes to the bus stop, looks in the bus, sees that the driver looks like he's in a uniform, he's something resembling a bus driver, all right, I'm probably good, you know, let's go. Um, now, if you see, like, no, I'm not going to go there, sorry. <laughs> Caricatures of bus drivers is not a good thing to do. <laughs> sorry, I lost my place here. Okay, um, so we wouldn't be able to live our lives without this kind of moral knowledge I'm talking about. Um, now, there's two important things to know about that. I will be able to be more certain about these things to the extent that I pay attention to the life of the person that I'm learning about, right? Like, um, close friends that we spend a lot of time with, I kind of know how they're going to react to a lot of different things, you know? My parents, I don't always know how they're going to react. They try to keep me guessing every once in a while, but... I generally can guess how my parents are going to react to a lot of different stuff, you know, because we share our life with each other so much more, right? Um, and this is actually one of the reasons that a life in our society, uh, shared together in, in society, is so important, right? Because there's a lot that gets shared that we don't think about. You know, someone growing up in ancient Rome versus someone growing up in medieval France, versus someone growing up in the United States today, we're going to have such a different experience of our common life together that if you took me and put me in uh, 15th century France, I would stick out like a sore thumb, <laughs> you know? And I would not trust anybody, and I'd be pretty sure I'm going to die, right? <laughs> um, because I don't have any shared experience with these people. And the second point is that the more powerfully one is human, the more one is able to be certain about another human on the basis of just a few things. Um, and it's kind of an interesting point, but it makes sense when you think about it. So take, for example, a carpenter. A carpenter who's an expert at his craft can build all sorts of things. Um, if he sees a really interesting piece of woodwork, he can look at this, and he might have a few questions, he might need a couple of clues, but he can really quickly grasp how this was done. And if I wanted to do something like it, he would probably be able to get pretty far in doing it. You know, I would not be able to do that. I am not a woodworker. It would take lots and lots of time and mistakes to get there, right? 
And so someone who has a great experience of humanity, who's experienced many people, who's come close to many people, um, is going to understand the people around them much more easily, right? Um, now, you can never fully understand another human being. The only one who can do that is our Lord. Um, but that's a topic for another day, <laughs> okay? Uh, we're trying to stay on the basics today. So, one final point here. Just like we can be wrong in science or philosophy or math, right? Like I could get a math problem wrong. It's possible. I've done it a lot of times. We can also get these moral things wrong. We can look at a person and form a judgment about their behavior and then turn out to be wrong. This is usually when bad things happen to us, right? We thought it was one way and it turns out to be the other. Um, but that doesn't mean we, can, we, we should throw out all of it, right? Like, if I can't do a math problem, I don't throw out math. I just realize I did the math problem wrong. So if I form the wrong opinion about someone around me, it doesn't mean I shouldn't try to do that. It just means I got it wrong this time. And uh, I need to understand a little better how to do it in the future. So, now that I've talked about these things for longer than I thought I would, um, I can actually start talking about religion now, okay? So, we recognize reality must be our teacher and that we must be reasonable in how we engage reality to learn and search for the truth. And I kind of hinted at religion a little bit earlier when I was talking about reality, noting that it really is the answer to that deep question of what is everything about? What does it all mean? So when we put it all together, what we recognize is that we, with this infinite desire in our hearts, are made for truth and for goodness. We are made for something infinite and nothing else will satisfy us. And so somehow, the infinite must figure into what religion is. And it must somehow figure out, uh, figure into what our life is all about. And so we'll also see from all these things, like I said, that we have a deeply personal experience of religion, right? Um, that doesn't mean that everyone has their own religion. It just means our experience of religion will be deeply personal. And that actually works really well with Catholicism. Again, kind of a topic to dig into another day. But that personal relationship with our Lord is something that's highly treasured in Catholicism. You know, um, a lot of people don't recognize that. But it just speaks so well to this. Um, life and what it means is personal. Discovering the meaning of life are the most pertinent and important things in our life is a goal which is possible only for a person who is involved with life seriously, who takes those events, encounters, and problems and seriously contemplates them. So, if we were to ask ourselves questions like, what is the ultimate meaning of existence? Or, why is there pain and death? Why in the end is life worth living? Or, what is reality, like, what's reality made for? We recognize that all of these touch that infinite that religious part of our hearts. Um, we'd recognize that these questions come from somewhere deep inside. And we'd recognize that we can't avoid them, right? Uh, any partial answer is not going to work, right? We need something. And, and, and our, our hearts are going to keep looking until they find that answer. So, I've been talking about this kind of sense of religion that's driving us to answer these questions.
The answer is God. He's the only one who's infinite, and he's the only one who can actually satisfy that longing. Um, So if we were to suppress our nature and stifle our desires, like then we could admit there's not an answer, right? Um, and that's what so many people have fall in, fallen into. But um, if we think about it, the answer to a question like, what is the meaning of it, when we realize that we're not going to be happy with anything that has a limit on it, the answer has both got to be something that's revealed to us, but is also still a mystery, right? So that tells us something about our experience of God and our experience of religion, that there's a revelation, but also a mystery involved. Um, Where did I go? Sorry, I'm uh, getting lost in my paper. (laughs) Um, So, like I said, God is really the only satisfactory answer. Now, I'm not talking about the caricature of God that society tries to give to us, right? Um, There's a caricature of God um, that we hear about in many, many different ways, right? Um, that, uh, like, you know, a lot of uh, atheist people would like to say, you know, um, they used to believe in lots of gods, I just believe in one less than you, right? Um, but even that kind of is a misunderstanding of what I mean when I say God, okay? When I say God, what I mean is someone who is outside of material creation, Okay? Someone who is infinite and who is mysterious, and someone who is responsible for keeping all things in existence. Right? There's a lot more I can say about him, but those are just some of the basic things. Right? When I say God, that is what I mean. I don't mean someone who's squabbling with other like divine type beings. Right? I don't mean someone who's, um, you know easily portrayed, because God is someone mighty and mysterious, who has massive power, but who also loves us. Like, he's a total paradox, right? Um, Who wants to reveal himself, but at the same time remains a complete mystery, right? Um, That's who I'm talking about. And so, from that, we can start to answer that original question of what is religion? Religion, in some way, is our experience of trying to answer these questions. It helps us to begin to understand the meaning of everything. Religion helps us to come into contact with the divine, with God. If you look at the ancient religions, um, every single one of them recognized that there is some sort of divinity and every ancient religion seeked to get that divinity on their side to provide for them. Okay? Um, there was something that even in the earliest people, before there was Christianity, before there was Judaism, there was this religious idea within humanity, seeking the providence of the divinity. Um, Now, in those early religions, they were focused heavily on fertility, both human fertility and fertility of the crops, essentially, because those are the things they needed to survive. And if you look, we still pray for the same stuff, actually, right? Um, There's lots of prayers for those things, even in our Catholic faith. Um, But we've expanded a bit. But if we keep looking at those ancient religions all of those sacrifices they would make, 
of their time, of their wealth, of their animals, of their crops. Occasionally they sacrificed the humans too because ancient religions were a mess. You know, it was always to gain favor with the divine so that they could secure providence and benefits from that divine being so that they could go on living this life. They understood that to be their meaning simply to continue civilization. And so those ancient religions, that was the meaning of life, that I create offspring and continue civilization. So if you look at religions, at their core, they all have a way of answering that question, what does it all mean? What is the purpose of life? And a lot of times, part of that is wrapped up with the question of what happens to me when I die? And the answer proposed to these questions is really what tells you what a religion is all about, how they understand the divine. Now, I've got a bunch of religions I lined out, and I'm not a scholar of any of them, but looking at their answers can help you understand it, right? So if we look at Buddhism, the goal of Buddhism is to reach nirvana, where suffering will cease because the individual has faded. Um, and become one with the universe. So individuality itself is kind of an illusion for the Buddhist, if I'm understanding it correctly. Um, and it may take many lifetimes to complete this work of the individual fading into nothingness. Um, there's a religion called Zoroastrianism, and I'll admit the main reason I put it on here is because if you look at it, it's got to be related to early Judaism. Zoroastrian is fascinating. It's got monotheism. It's got a Messiah. It's got a belief in free will. It's got a belief in judgment after death. It's got heaven, hell, angels, and demons. Um, they call their um, divinity Ahura Mazda, which is just kind of a cool name. I mean, let's be honest. I like saying that. Um, I don't know if the cars are named after this guy or not. <laughs> you know. Um, but this, this deity is omniscient, but not all-powerful. So he knows all things, but he cannot do all things. Um, and so the goal of the life of a Zoroastrian is to bring happiness into this world, because that fights against evil. And it furthers the cause of Ahura Mazda on this earth. And the end goal of this religion is that souls will live forever with Ahura Mazda. So um, it's kind of a universalist proposition. It's kind of fascinating. There's a lot more going on there. And like, I could, pro I could spend a lot of time studying this. But anyways, it's fascinating religion. Uh, but happiness in this world seems to be the goal of that religion. In Taoism, um, that's Chinese, uh, kind of ancient Chinese religion. And I'll admit, I don't understand it very much. Um, but it appears that harmony is the goal of that religion, to be in harmony with the things around you. Um, and that at the end of life, your soul either becomes a part of the cosmos or it becomes something they call a sage, which I'm not exactly sure what a sage is. <laughs> um, but they said that that's one of the options. But it appears harmony is the goal of that um, with the things around you. In Hinduism, you have the human soul that they call the Atman, and it's eventually purified through the course of many lives, and 
becomes one with the universe. It's similar to the Buddhism, except if I understand it correctly, with Buddhism you fade into nothingness to join the universe. Um, with Hinduism, you kind of grow and become a part of the universe. But in both of the religions, there is a similarity that um, the individuality is no longer there in the afterlife. So now we're going to start getting into the Abraham, Abrahamic religions, right? So Islam, which started around 610 AD, the goal of Islam is submission of the will to God, right? Um, now, if you uh, have Catholic ears, you're probably thinking, well, wait, what's so wrong about that? It's a different kind of submission than what we teach, though. Um, it's a more slave-like submission, um, which I just don't have a better way to describe it. Um, it has a similar afterlife concept as Christianity does, um, but it believes in predestination, that every act in this world is pre um, essentially decreed by God. Um, and uh, while paradise for a Muslim will be a joyful place, um, whether you're there or not is ultimately subject simply to the will of Allah. Right? You don't have much input in it. Um, and it sounds like it's primarily focused on a more physical type of happiness, right? We have the 72 virgins and the things like that um, going on in Islam. And honestly, when I was reading about it, <laughs> have you ever seen the show The Good Place? Okay, when I, was, when I was reading up on this, just to make sure I'm not making lies about Islam, because I want to be accurate for you guys, I started thinking of The Good Place. It's like their conception of The Good Place sounded a lot like this. Um, so um, the show ran for four seasons. When they finally got to the good place, no one was happy because it was simply like a material good place. It wasn't, there wasn't like a spiritual component to the goodness. Um, now Judaism, it's kind of hard for me to point out what the, point, what, what the goal of Judaism is because as Christians we see Judaism as fulfilled in Christianity and kind of like the same thing except the Jewish people would probably really disagree with us. Um, so, what I can say is that in Jewish religion, the people are called to be a light to all the nations, and they're called to usher the kingdom of God into this world, to bring the order of heaven down to earth. And until Christianity came on the scene, um, their view of the afterlife was actually very similar to uh, what you see in a lot of Canaanite religion. Um, and there wasn't one single conception of the afterlife for the Jewish people. Um, so you have a lot of them believing that when you die, what makes you you goes to a place called Sheol. And in Sheol, you will subsist for a while, but you kind of fade out slowly. Um, and then there's various other conceptions of this. Um, in the Gospels, we even see part of this debate over what the afterlife is for the Jewish people um, because the Sadducees um, have a different view of the resurrection than the rest of the Jewish people, right? Um, and you read in the um, Old Testament books of the Maccabees, right, that some Jews believe in the resurrection of the body and some do not, right? And so, so that's one of the reasons in the book of Maccabees they're talking that praying for the dead is a good thing. Um, but other people would see it as completely pointless because there isn't anything for us after death. So, like I said, Judaism's a little hard for me to pin down. Um, 
But in Christianity, I can talk about this one really well. <laughs> the goal of Christianity is something we call theosis, which is just fun to say. It's a Greek term. It means to be in union with God. And if we're in union with God, it means that we will be like God. Um, one of the saints, I can't remember off the top of my head which one, um, said, I think it was one of the Ignatiuses, or it might have been Irenaeus, but that doesn't matter too much. He said that God became man so that man might become God. Right? Um, now, this is not a type of polytheism. Right? Um, it's not us saying that we're going to become creators like God. Um, it means we'll be unified with him. And the beauty of this conception of um, becoming like God is that unlike some of these other religions, we get to maintain our individuality. And in fact, um, when we unify ourselves with God, we become even more who we are, right? Uh, one of the things that I say is if you look at the saints, each and every single one of them lived an incredible life. And while there's similarities, each of them lived way different lives. There's lots of ways to be holy. But if you look at the people who were maybe not the best, um, they all kind of do the same stuff. You know, um, The worst of them kill a lot of people, eventually, at the end of the day. Um, and they get caught up in, in sex or things that alter their mind or whatever it might be, right? Um, so there's a lot of different ways, um, a lot of different ways to accent our individuality, to grow in our individuality when we're trying to be holy. Um, that's the great thing about Christianity. Oh my gosh, I wrote too much. <laughs> okay. Oh good. I don't have that much left. Okay, so the reality is that we can be, we are all inherently religious, right? Um, going back to what I was talking about earlier. And if we have an answer to what does it all mean, then there is like a religious part of our lives that we're already living out. Um, it means that we're allowing that question to be what shapes us. Um, and so we are all inherently religious. Um, I talk a bit more about that spiritual but not religious guy, but I think I was just on like on a track when I wrote this. <laughs> um, okay, but take, for example, like our brothers and sisters who are atheists. Um, many of them um, have seemed to have found a meaning of life that I think is a bit dark because it doesn't um, have a concept of the afterlife. But they've decided that the meaning of their life is to do what is best for the most people possible, right? I'm kind of taking uh, Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative and running with that as the way to live their life. Now, we can argue about the logic of doing that all day, but for whatever reason, that's how they've understood the meaning of their life, okay? Um, and I would say that these people who deny that there is a God but have that conception of a meaning of their life are actually living in a religious sort of way, even though they would totally disagree with me when I say that, because they're trying to answer that question of meaning. Um, 
let's see, where am I in my notes? I keep losing my place. Um, okay. So every one of us has like a practical religious sense that guides us. We each practice religion in some form or another. Um, whether or not we recognize that's a whole different question, right? So, um, what is this page? Sorry, I wrote this this morning and I was kind of in a hurry. Give me just a second here, my apologies. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, there's also a question about religion versus organized religion that we run into sometimes. And I don't think that that's actually, I don't think that you can actually say there's a disorganized religion. Okay? Um, so if you think about it, again, if we're trying to answer a question, what's the meaning? It means that when I'm answering that question, I'm putting a sort of order to things, right? Like, I want there to be reasons for stuff, right? So if I'm engaging that question, no matter what that turns out to be, there's going to be some sort of organization to it. So any religion that tries to answer that question, that tries to, to propose that to us, is going to have to have some form of organization within it. Now, it might, not, it might look way different from one to the other, right? Um, so within the various Christian denominations, you have a lot of different ways that they're organized. But there is something that organizes each denomination, if you take a close enough look at it. Um, within Judaism and Islam, right, there isn't a central authority in those religions, but there is something that organizes how those people would live their life, right? Um, so there is an organization to it. Um, now, because of what the Catholic Church understands about life and what it means, um, what we believe is that God created all things. And so for us, religion ultimately concerns with how we recognize that and how we give God what is due to Him. Um, at the end of the day, what that means is um, since He gave us everything, somehow we should try and give those things back to Him. Um, and give him service and thanksgiving for those sorts of things. Um, in our church, what we teach is that religion is actually a type of justice. Okay? Um, so if you look at St. Thomas Aquinas, for example, who put categories on everything, um, he would tell you that religion is a form of justice because we're giving God what is due to him. Um, and... The ancient philosophers actually realized this too. If you go and read Aristotle, this is kind of the way he talks about religion. That there is some sort of divinity and we should give him what is due to him. Um, they got there a bit of a different way, right? Um, but the desire to give God what is due um, actually kind of explains a lot of what you see in religion. Because those ancient religions I was talking about, they sought to find favor with God by giving him the things that he desired. Um, they des and um, even in, sorry, what in the world did I write there? Okay, they desired to find favor with God through these offerings, these religious offerings. 
Um, and that's kind of the foundation of a public religious service, right? So Catholics, we have the Mass. That's like our number one public religious service. And what we do at Mass is we offer ourselves back to the Lord along with our Lord, um, hoping that we find through this a way to grow closer to Him, right? Um, and so ultimately, to sum it all up, religion's about the biggest and most important questions. Each religion has a different answer to what is the meaning of life. Um, and helps, it, it, it desires to help us understand this thing inside of us that seeks truth and justice and happiness. Um, it helps us understand the meaning of our lives. So it helps us understand what happens to us after death. You know, um, I've run into a number of people who essentially when, you know, if you say, um, you're religious because you don't want there to be nothing when you die, and they like say that that's a silly reason to be religious. I don't think it's silly at all, right? Um, I, 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 in fact, it's almost offensive when they they deride religion like that, um, because what what's really happened is like they've silenced that question in their hearts. They've stopped trying to look for the meaning of things. Um, perhaps there's a hurt or an anger or something in their past that's led them down that road. Um, but we don't look for an answer just for the sake of looking. We actually want an answer to all these things. Um, if there weren't an answer, then reality would be unreasonable. But kind of looking at reality it doesn't seem to be how reality works. It seems to have an order and a reason to it. Um, so, when we live in reality, when we live reasonably, we can't avoid that question of meaning. We can't avoid that religious question. Um, and so, there's that longing within us um, that helps us to find a path forward and helps us ultimately to figure out which one do I follow, right? Um, so, that's kind of a bit about religion in general. Um, I know it was a bit heady. I'll get a little more in detail next week because um, we're going to just talk about Christianity next week. That's, that's um, just all I'm going to talk about. Um, and what makes Christianity different than all those other religions, right? So why does the Christian answer to the meaning of life look so much different? Um, and there's all sorts of good stuff that I hope to get in there. Um, and I'll time it a little better, too. <laughs> I went a little longer than I had hoped to today. Um, do you guys have any questions?